Good morning, everyone. I, I'm trying to decide if I should um, address Greg's half truth about me. And I decided that I would, that um, the true thing is, on my own merit, I don't even deserve just to be sick. <laughs> but on Christ's work, I've been elevated to be a son. It's a mu- very, very much a comfort to come to that realization. Um, I don't know if you remember the last six or eight weeks, have, they've been kind of interesting for Tia and I. And um, maybe a couple months ago, I just really sensed that... Um, you know, I was in this place, I don't know about you all, but I have seasons in my life. Maybe you're just steady like this. I am kind of like, kind of like this. <laughs> and uh, it was one of those times where it's like, wow, I just have kind of a newfound passion to try to move deeper into the Lord, whatever, whatever that means after you've walked with Him for 30 or 40 years. <laughs> wonder how, how can you get any deeper uh, when everything you've tried, it sometimes it's like, well, I'm not going anywhere here. But I kind of realized early on in my life that um, when those times come, I'm like, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm with it. And finally realized, no, it's God that's calling. He, he's calling you. He's the initiator, and He's calling you higher. He's calling you again. And um, finally, after, you know, 20 years or so, I've realized, you know, I need to respond to that. Um, Or the Spirit's just going to pass by and move on (laughs) to the next person, you know, that's alert. And so it's a a matter of being alert and it's a matter of getting up and following. And so um, I've been trying to do that over these last couple months. One of the ways that I've been doing, how can I know you better, is, a, well, the best example is Jesus Christ, the visible God. And so I've got this book called The Narrated Bible that is, um, it folds all four Gospels together and tries as best as possible from what we know to put all the stories in the four Gospels in a chronological order. And so I've been reading the four Gospels um, for the last month or so uh, and trying to kind of just enter into the situation. How is Jesus interacting with these people? Because he only did what he saw the Father doing and he only spoke what the Father told him. And so if I can just continue to just study his life, um, maybe the, the Spirit will begin to show me more and more what God is like and who He is. And so that's what I've kind of been about um, in trying to, to get there. And the more and more I reread the Gospels, it seems like the more and more I realize <laughs> how literally unbelievable it is the, the humility of heart of God. I'm just taken back by it. Um, this book that Bill's given us for Man Camp, this lowly and gentle, it's like um, he really is lowly in heart. And I'm just convinced more and more that I'm every day in desperate need of a Savior. 
and in desperate need of his kind of heart to follow him because I don't know about you all I can act lowly in heart <laughs> I can I can I can approach people that I really don't want to because I know it's the right thing to do but I'm not going to enter in but so far and a lot of times it's out of pity rather than lowliness of heart and it's just been such a challenge reading this book and thinking I'm not there I I can pretend to be this way, but until I get that fullness of heart that God has, um, it's kind of like I'm going to do the right thing and hope it hope it changes me. Um, What I want to try to talk about today is um, something that I kind of began to really see yet again as I was walking through this sickness with COVID. After about 48 hours of just laying flat on my back in my favorite chair, me and Henry's favorite chair up in my office, I think he always beats uh, Simon. Sometimes I'll go up there before church, and he's already been up there and put his name in in the chair. (laughs) So um, I I was in that place, and it's like it was almost my... A, a willful response to just raise my arm. I mean, that's how I'm tired I felt. And after being in this place for you know, a couple of days, I was just laying there. And it was like I had this mental conversation because Dare wouldn't talk like this out loud to God. Of course, he, he sees every thought and knows every word before it's on our tongue. But it's like, do you see me down here? And it was this quick. I certainly do. So are, are you going to do anything about it? This is this conversation is going on. And it's like just this, this just calm response came back. I am. I'm doing what I want to do. And I was in one of those places where I just kind of was drifting back into my sleep spot. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, you're not working on symptoms. You're working on something deeper, <laughs> something deeper than I'm interested in right now. <laughs> And so, but it, it, I also had this amazing sense that he really sees me. He really sees where I'm at right now. And you know, and even though it didn't get any easier, it, this, this hopefulness welled up within me. I mean, I never thought I was going to die or anything, but it's like, how long, oh Lord, am I going to walk in this place? Um, and so, I really want to try to talk a, a little bit today about this fact of being seen by God. Um, my message is nine pages, it's usually six. Um, I can't apologize for reading lots of scripture, <laughs> but I probably will cut out some of this. It's basically, I've picked like seven vignettes out of the Bible to try to, to, try to kind of talk about what happens when God sees you. Um, and it's interesting because, well, we all know He sees us. He sees us all the time. You know, and there's a, I picked these couple of scriptures out of the Psalms to show because He's so omnipresent and omniscient, this is how we sometimes see Him. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. Well, we know that. He generally sees everything all the time. 
We know that. Psalm 33, 13. This one, Proverbs 15, 3. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping an eye on both good and evil. He's watching everywhere, keeping an eye on both good and evil. These are these give us for me this broad, far reaching, all encompassing gaze of God upon everything in his creation. And it's also continual keeping watch on both good and evil. He follows it. He watches it. He watches it play out. Um, and then there's this scripture. <clears throat> you have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Psalm 56, 8. Uh, another translation, New, New, New Living Translation says it this way. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Now that gets pretty personal, doesn't it? I mean, me. There seems to be something, <laughs> at least to me, divinely empowering about recognizing that God sees you. You as an individual, that his gaze actually falls on you and his attention is directed towards you, not just a group, not just your church or your nation, but you as an individual. Even though lots of the Bible is written to the nation or to a people, uh, and we in America, we like to, as individuals, we like to just take that and that's for me. But a lot, very much of the things he addresses is to a people. And so there are times when personal attention like that can move a person. And so I, I want to try to, through a, a couple of examples, look at this um, and, then, and then see how it circles back around to Bill's message of last week. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to read some scriptures and just talk about some people. The first one is David. Uh, 1 Samuel 21, beginning in verse 10. Uh, if you want to look these up, you can, or you can just make note of the scripture reference. 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 22:5. Then David arose and fled from the day of Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart. In other words, he realized that they realized we've got a great prize here, and we have captured him. David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. 
Then the king said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack mad madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. Then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. The prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herod. David wrote Psalm 58 as a result of or during this incident that we just read. Let me read it to you again. Just one of, just one of the many verses in there. You keep track of all my sorrows. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? <laughs> Saul, I mean, um, Samuel, the prophet, had anointed David to be king over Israel. This was his promise. This was his destiny. God helped him to defeat Goliath. And he gained favor and notoriety in the, in the land. God gave him favor with the royal court for a season. Now he finds himself running from King Saul who desires to kill him. He's at risk. His family's at risk. And gathered all around him are debtors and malcontents. And he's their captain. You've ever been in a situation like that? Or something similar? Does, I mean, does the Lord bring in something to mind? David had walked with God long enough and recognized his eye was upon him. Maybe some of it was from, um, you know, the fact that the, the prophet of the land, Samuel, had come and anointed him. But when things didn't go his way, he didn't let go of that fact. Um, you, you know, it's interesting to me um, as I look at David's life because like eight, nine chapters later in in First Samuel 30, David finds himself um, now the 400 malcontent debtors and warriors he has with him are mad at him because all their families and possessions, along with his own wife and possessions, have been captured, stolen, and taken away because he went on this trip out to the Philistines only to be turned away and come back and find himself in Ziklag uh, with their place destroyed. Let me read that short passage for you out of 1 Samuel 30. 
Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Malachites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag. That's where the, the men had left their families um, when they went over to be with the Philistines to escape Saul. They had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. They took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. That's a lot of crying. To cry till you can't cry anymore. That's how upset they were. Now David's two wives had been taken captive. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. Can you imagine being in this situation? You've lost your family, and now everybody's turned against you, and you've been taking care of them all this time uh, since they gathered with you. But this is what the Scripture says. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself. How did he do that? How do you think David strengthened himself in the Lord in that time? Well, you know, David wrote a lot of songs. Maybe he started just singing songs. Songs he had written. Maybe he remembered. Oh, and so here are some of the lines out of the songs that he, he wrote. Keep me as the apple of your eye. And hide me in the shadow of your wings. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. For my eyes are toward you, O Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. It's kind of why it's good to learn the Scriptures and hide them in your heart in times like that. He remembered times that God had seen him. And it encouraged him And he got up and did the next hard thing, which was across that brook and go get his family. He did it. Um, Next is Matthew the tax collector. Just the kind of guy you want God to say, that's the guy I want you to go up and disciple. Um, we looked at we looked at this scripture. I was t- talking to Greg at breakfast this past week. Uh, we looked at this particular scripture um, the last time I spoke because um, Jesus had come and was saying, "Listen, there's a new way to be, have a right relationship with God. 
you know it's and he gave these examples because the the people were upset because his his disciples weren't fasting they were feasting um and and so he said look times are changing new wine is not going to fit in old wineskins it's going to be in new wineskins it's the new way and i'm trying to tell you the good news of how to be rightly related to God. You know, and so what's interesting is this all comes after it says, and, and Jesus noticed Matthew. Well, let's think about this guy, Matthew. He was a Jew. He was hated by his own people because he was a tax collector. This is the guy that not only gets our money for the Romans, he skims off some for himself. He's a Jew. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's got to be able to keep records and books. He's got to speak more than one language. And he's in Congress. Yes, he's in. <laughs> he's in the. He's in the Roman Congress. He's at these. He, he's at these trade routes, and so he's got to be able to speak more than one language. Um, and he's wealthy now. He's hated so much that he probably has a Roman guard. To protect him, uh, so that he can keep doing his job, and so that they, they can make sure that Rome gets their money. Uh, this is the man that Matthew was, um, probably disowned by his own family. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says Matthew, son of, at all. Levi, he calls him Levi, son of Alphaeus in one of the translations. This these three stories are in Matthew twelve, Mark two, and Luke and John the fifth chapter. And so um I I watched this um vi- little clip out of the chosen in, on one of my YouTube rabbit trails um about this this and it's it was interesting because they had him actually in a a cage almost, you know with bars that people could pass their money through and a Roman soldier out here. But Jesus walks by, walks by with Peter and some of the other disciples. And then he turns around and says, Matthew. And it almost shocks him. You know, me? Me? And and then he wasn't really sure. And so then Jesus says, son of Alphaeus. And like, man, this guy, He he knows me. And then he calls him to come. And so, you know, as I, I thought about it, it was like the visible God <laughs> looked at this man who was overlooked and not looked at and everybody didn't even want to make eye contact with him for what he might ask of them. <clears throat> this, this guy turns around and looks at me Calls me by name and then tells me who my father is. And it so arrested him that, at least in the, in, the, in the movie thing, he gets out of the cage. The Roman soldier says, you don't want to do this. He says, do you know what you're giving up? Security, wealth, place to sleep, nice place, everything. And he hands him that key and walks off. And it just, this was at the objection of Peter and the other disciples who were just irate. 
at Jesus for for putting their eyes on this guy. <laughs> Peter is trying to talk him out of it, and it it just reminded me. Um, <laughs> Jesus turns to Peter and says, "Get used to different." And I thought to myself, if you're going to follow God, <laughs> you better get used to different. You never know what kind of situation He's going to orchestrate for you to step into. But the, the point of this story is Matthew felt the gaze of God and it so moved him to give up. You know, it wasn't like, okay, this man likes me this man cares for me not only that he knew that this man had a group of people around him and those people around him weren't going to like him he he walked into a situation where he was not going to be welcome except by the one that called him that is not an easy thing to do that is not an easy thing to do um one commentary i read said that matthew in the early church was probably one of the most important gospels for helping people to see who Christ was. Um, there's other commentaries that say that Matthew didn't write it, so take it for what it's worth. But Matthew, hated by his own people, if he did write it, because he was educated and could write, um, he had this heart that turned towards his own people and writing this for his people that they might know the, 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 the way and the truth and the life. He didn't hold it against them that they, they hated him and had rejected him. Once he met the Savior and his heart was changed and his eyes were open, he went back to the very people that had rejected him. Um, to me, uh, <laughs> it's the transforming work of the Lord is, is absolutely amazing. Um, this one's a little bit different. Let me go back to the Old Testament. King Asa. Um, Asa started out as a good king and generally is kind of known as a good king. He trusted God. He knew God had placed him where he was. Um, then one day, he looks out the window and he gets word that a million Ethiopian th soldiers are coming to defeat him. So he calls out to God. And this is what he says in Second Chronicles 14, 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there's no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you. And in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against us. Now, we know because we know the whole story. God heard the prayer, didn't he? <laughs> God prevailed in and his two or three hundred thousand soldiers defeated a million Ethiopians. So Asa goes on and lives his life. Um, but his heart 
forgets that the Lord's eyes upon him. And so he he has this king of Israel, King Basha, decides, I'm going to attack Judah. So he makes this treaty with a, a heathen king of Aram. He makes this treaty with him. And the prophet comes up and makes this statement. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. God's looking. God's just looking for the people whose heart strongly support. And he will strongly support those whose heart is completely his. We love that verse. I love that verse. And we like to stop right there, you know. Um, kind of reminds me actually of a scripture that you somewhere in Jeremiah about uh, in stillness and quietness and we like to stop right there but if you if you keep reading it says but you would have no part of it and so Gad continues with this he strongly supported you a million you know 200,000 to a million and now you're trusting you're trusting some uh, 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 a king that's not not even a God-fearing king. And Gad, uh, he says this. He says, you have acted foolishly in this indeed. From now on, you will have wars. From now on, you will have wars. You know, I think sometimes you know we can find ourselves in that same kind of place where you know we've just we've just faith step after faith step after faith step and then we hit this thing that it's like oh boy I, feel, I kind of feel like I'm on my own now and I've I've got to look I've got to either look to myself or to somebody or some situation to get me through this and you know what happens <laughs> you have wars inside there's conflicts and doubts and fear that comes you know um, it just kind of reminded me of that song, the, the the Billy Graham invitation song, Just As I Am. There's one verse in there that says this, Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting in fears within and without. What's the remedy? O Lamb of God, I come. <laughs> I come. I come back. I remember I strengthen myself like David. I remember. Um, we'll skip Ruth. Um, like something against Moabite. <laughs> it's an amazing story. Absolutely amazing story. Um, but that's four or five sermons, honestly. Incredible story. Actually, we spent we we spent we each took a chapter of Ruth years and years ago um, on on that book. We didn't spend enough time on it. (laughs) Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Must be coming from the north. Because he comes through the sheep gate. That's the one that's the closest to the uh, altar because 
they kept the sheep where it's not not a far distance away from where they're sacrificed. Well, right there, you know, in the old sheep pen, all that not so much a tourist attraction. There was this pool called Pool of Bethesda that was there, and of course all the misfits and the cripples and the sick and the dying they gather around that pool and wait for the angel to come and stir the waters you remember the story um it's in john chapter 5 if you want to make a note i'll read this very quickly now there was in jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in hebrew bethesda having five porticos in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Can you imagine this today? Oh my goodness. Whoever then first after the stirring of the water stepped in was made well from whatever disease that was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Now, there are other places in the Bible where Jesus healed everybody. And everyone who came to him, he healed them. So here he is walking through all these people and he sees a man lying on the ground. And then this Jesus guy talking to this man, he's looking around and saying, well, he's not, he's not talking to anybody else. He's talking to me. Do I want to get, do I want to get well? And then he's, you know, I, I'm sure he, he communicated, he knew he'd been there. Well, he must have been through here before sometime. Or was he just because he's the visible God? He knows all. He saw him and he knew him. And he says, do you want to get well? And it's not like he's going around asking everybody else. He's asking, he sees me. And he's asking me. And he's saying it with such authority that the man just gets up. <laughs> he just gets up. Didn't take any water. Didn't take any moving out of the water. He acted on the Word of God once he saw that God saw him it made all the difference in the world when he saw him Jesus stirred his waters exactly exactly let me write that down <laughs> okay <laughs> two more Zacchaeus he likes these tax collectors the wee little man another person everybody hated he wasn't only short, because he was rich, he probably ate well, so he was probably a little rotund as well. You know, now everybody else is, you know, looking for their next meal. He's a waddling looking trying to find I want to see this guy. Everybody's talking about and everybody's congregated and so he, you know, runs and he climbs and he gets on up in this tree. Jesus is walking along. It says Jesus the the, the scripture says that he looked up and saw Zacchaeus. All Zacchaeus wanted to do was just get a glimpse of the man. He never expected 
this guy that everybody was clamoring to and hanging on every word, that he would look up and see him. He looked up and saw him. And he said, hey, much to everybody's... Because the Bible says, when he said, come down, Zacchaeus, I need dinner with you tonight. Everybody began grumbling again because they hated this guy. This Jesus guy is very unpredictable. And so... He doesn't even, the scriptures, Jesus hardly says another word, and the scriptures say this Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Of all my possessions, I'm going to, anybody I've defrauded, I'm going to give it back to. I mean, Jesus hadn't even hardly told him anything. He's just recognized the man, and he is repenting right there. Not only in word, Indeed, as well. It's one thing to say you're sorry or repent. There's another thing to follow with an action. And here, this tax collector has done this. Uh, it just, as I've just read through these things. Um, now, I know that the visible God is not on earth anymore. And so, how is it that this works today? Um, it, it works by faith. This last example goes all the way back to um, Abram's time. And the, and the lady's name is Hagar. If you remember her um, in Genesis chapter 16. Um, bear with me. I, I'm going to read these ten verses. Just because some of you may not be familiar with the story, though. I mean, I think everybody, most everybody would be. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Not a smart thing to do. But then Sarah said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with consent, with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Now, Abram was a smart man. He was older and wiser. And he didn't say, well, I only did what you told me to do. That always works. That doesn't work. <laughs> Abram replied, in a wise man, look, She's your servant. So do with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Now how bad would you have to be treated? Pregnant. I mean, these were, these were tribes that you just run, run away. In the desert or wherever where they were at the time. Just you would run away. How bad would it have to get? I mean, she had been with them 
at least 10 years ever since they came out of Egypt because I, she was probably a gift. Probably a princess at that time. Some of the commentaries say she was a princess. They wouldn't just give Abram uh, you know, a slave. They'd give her some, some person that was of status, I would think. So she runs away. Now she's in the desert and it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. She probably didn't know where she was going to. She's just running away. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, untamed as a donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Now, here we have a lady that was pressed into a service that she probably wasn't looking forward to, but she had to do what she was asked to do. And then realizing she's pregnant, and once the baby's born, it wasn't going to be hers. It's going to be Sarah's. And then she's treated bad at the same time, so she runs away. She encounters an angel or the God of Abraham, or Abram at this time. She didn't understand all that because she lived with them for so long. She understood their beliefs. Uh, and this angel asked her to do a very difficult thing. Go back and submit to a harsh situation. Go back and be treated harshly some more. Um, <laughs> the scriptures continue after this. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. El Roi. The commentaries say she is the first person in the scriptures to give God another name. You're the God that sees me. And he spoke to her and he gave her a promise. And the fact that she recognized that he saw her gave her strength and resolve to go into into a hard situation. Yes, she had a promise, but that was way down the road. <laughs> it behooves us for God, to, for us to realize He's looking at me. Think, think about it. I mean, have you ever? We've all been in this situation where we've been doing something, and we kind of realize somebody's watching me. Somebody's looking at me. I have. I don't know whether you all have. You, all of a sudden you realize, oh, somebody's looking at me. 
when that somebody is God, it's time to reciprocate. Usually, when we've, we're in that place of sensing that, we don't make contact. You know, we don't reciprocate. God is the initiator. He sees you first before you ever see Him. And it's, you know, it's when that first encounter that we are aware that he, His eye is upon us. That's the gateway that He gives faith if we reciprocate. That's the gateway that we walk through by faith um, into this new life. Um, and, it, you know, that's, that's the generosity of God. Is I'm only going to look at you once. If you don't get it, too bad. Or if you come through, great, but then you just become in the in the big crowd from there on. No. There are there are times when he wants us to be aware. I'm looking at you. I've got something to say. And we need to respond to that. But do, you know, it doesn't stop there with Hagar. It doesn't stop there with Hagar. She also said, <laughs> Have I truly seen the one who sees me? It's one thing to be to recognize that God sees you. With her, it doesn't stop there. And she gave him this name. She then asked this question, rhetorical or not, I don't think it was because she moved out and did a hard thing. Have I truly seen the one who sees me? <laughs> you know, we can read about the greatness of God. We can, we can hear other people declare the greatness of God. But you really don't begin to understand the greatness of God until you see Him. Think about this. The devil comes up and says, people, people serve you and love you because you're just good to them. <laughs> oh, really? Have you considered my servant Job? Now, if... If God, God's not a betting man, but He's not going to pick somebody that's going to flake out on Him either. I mean, my glory is on the line. I think I'll choose Job. I believe, I believe He'll stay the course. I don't know if He could say that about me. <laughs> you know, um, and so we have this long 40 plus chapters of Job is suffering, Job interrogating God. And at the end it says this, I've heard about you. I've heard about you with the hearing of the ear. But now I see you. And I retract in ashes. I thought I knew who you were. I thought I knew how great you were. And then all this stuff happened to me. Now that I've seen you, it's like we just read, He's far greater than we've yet to see. 
But how do you get there? <laughs> You've got to be aware He sees you first. And He wants you to return that gaze. But he, and He does it over and over and He opens our eyes more and more to who He is. You know, He is part of your walk with God. He's all, he can do anything. He's almighty. Boy, He knows everything. He knows everything about me. And then it's like, wow, you're really lowly and gentle and patient and forbearing. You're the greatest thing. We, we don't know that until we really see Him. We can say it. <laughs> but when we see Him, He becomes greater and greater. Let's pray. Father, You are patient. And it's beyond me, Lord, that <laughs> You stoop so low, Father. Lord, give us, give us a new alertness to know when Your eyes are upon us. That we might look up and see You ever again in a new light. In Jesus' name, Amen.